I don't know if uh, you've learned the same lesson I have over the years of going on vacations, but for some people, coming home and combing through the vacation photos and posting them and writing little captions underneath them is almost as much fun as it is going on the vacation. I know this because I married a person just like that. It seems like the pictures on the vacation are endless. There's never an opportunity missed that we don't capture a family photo. And then we come home and we spend all that time combing through them, posting them, writing captions uh, underneath them, and sharing them with friends and family. But what you probably realize, and what I certainly have realized, that those pictures that we're sharing don't tell the full story, do they? It's just a snapshot. It's a moment in time. And sometimes those pictures don't tell the full story in terms of its goodness, its beauty. Uh, your photo of the mountains with the pristine lake right in front of it, it, it pales in comparison to when you are actually there. The photo does not do it justice, and you want your friends and family to know that, so you tell them that. Uh, and then there's other photos, uh, possibly at the end of a long trip where the family's together and they're, they're smiling and they seem to be having the time of their lives, but what you know is that moments before that picture was taken, uh, mom and dad had a little spat. Uh, the baby rubbed sand in his eyes and was bawling. And unless you talk with the photographer and he or she is candid with you, you don't know the full story behind that picture. Now, this morning, as we close out Colossians, we are going to look at a snapshot, a snapshot in time of Paul's ministry team, uh, the men and women in whom he worked with, and he is going to share with us some details about this ministry team. And if you were just to blaze through this reading, then you would miss some of those details that we're going to focus on that tell the full story. And in doing this, what we want to wrestle with is what does a community look like that has fully embraced Paul's teaching in Colossians? See, in many ways, this community embodies what we've been studying since May. And we want to get a feel for what a community looks like that embodies Paul's Christ-centered teachings in Colossians, which can be summarized as Christ is supreme over all all, and he is sufficient for you, the believer. And so in doing this, we're going to look at a few of these characters, not all of them, but just a few of them. And we're going to focus in on some of the details about them that Paul shares with us, as well as looking at these characters uh, from different angles, meaning they're in other parts of the Bible. And so we want to bring that in to this study to get an understanding of what a team looks like that embodies Paul's teachings. And in doing this, we're going to rehash some of the themes that we've been studying in Colossians over this summer. It's going to be fun. So let's start by reading our passage, Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, 
that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So our our first point of emphasis here, we're going to see in verses 12 and 7 before that. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at Tychicus and Epaphras. These are individuals on his ministry team. In verse 7, Tychicus here is described as a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And then we also see in verse 12, Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, Tychicus was a personal courier of Paul. He actually carried this letter to Colossae, as well as other letters uh, on Paul's behalf. No doubt a man of prominence on this ministry team. And Epaphras, well, he was an evangelist on Paul's ministry team. Uh, He is the one that first took the gospel to Colossae, as well as other churches in the region. Again, a man of honor. But how does Paul describe them? What words does he use to describe these great men, so to speak? He calls them servants. In verse 7, Tychicus is a servant in the Lord. In verse 12, Epaphras, he is a servant of Christ. He chooses to focus in on their position in Christ, their role alongside Christ in his kingdom, and not comparing them to others in terms of building them up, making them more prominent. Uh, Perhaps this word servant uh, is better translated as bondservant or slave. And the reason I say that is because this word servant here is doulos, and it's the exact same word that Paul used in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, verse 1, to describe the relationship between a master and a bondservant or a slave. And Paul is taking that word and he's describing it as men on his ministry team. They are bondservants of Christ. Now, this is significant because when the Bible talks about us being servants of the Lord or servants in the Lord, what it's doing is it's emphasizing our obligation and our responsibility to exclusively serve Christ. 
We exclusively serve him and his kingdom purposes. Now, these people on Paul's ministry team, they understood that concept, and they also embraced that reality as a way of life. They were servants. They were slaves of the king of kings in his kingdom. Now, this is right in line with our idea of watchfulness that we talked about last week. We are to be watchful for our master, our Lord, as he directs us. We are to be alert to his will in any moment. And it also fits in with a properly ordered relationship, which we talked about two weeks ago, that order brings forth goodness. It promotes life. And as we embrace this concept as servants of the Lord, we are in a properly ordered relationship with him for service. And it brings forth goodness and promotes life. Now, last week, I got my monthly haircut. And I go to the same spot because it's, it's on the way. Uh, it's usually very quick. Uh, and I get to watch sports while I get my haircut. Who could beat that, right? So these are my expectations. Uh, I'm in and out. It's on the way to work, and I get to watch sports. Well, my expectations were not entirely met last week. As I walked into the haircut place, thankfully there was no one else there, so I thought, perfect, I'll be in and out on my way to work. Sat down in my chair, she put the little, you know, oversized bib on, asked me how I wanted my haircut, I told her. And then I was waiting for that moment where she turns my chair just so, so that I can look at the TV directly and kind of zone out for about 15 or 20 minutes while she cuts my hair. She did not turn my chair just so. She kept my chair facing straight on the mirror. Why? So that she and I could have eye contact while we had a conversation over the next 40 plus minutes. I'm not against a good conversation, and I mean that. I wouldn't be a pastor if I was, but I had un met expectations, okay? So it's, it's in this, this moment, while I'm grumbling a little bit in my heart, that I remember what we talked about last week. Lord, I want to be alert to your will in this. I, I'm watchful. What is it you'd have me do in this moment? How could I serve you? How could I represent you? And in telling that to God in my heart, she then began to talk to me about this dream she had about God the night before. She sees me in the mirror and my eyes get all big. Not knowing that I had just told God in my heart, here I am, what would you have me to do? And she sees my eyes get big and she goes, I know, I know. And she starts to tell me all these details about her dream. And honestly, I, I don't remember the details as much as I remember her, her desire to know what, is, what do you think God's telling me? What do, you, what do you think God wants me to know about him through this dream? And as I'm about to answer, she, she changes the subject, and she asks me, what do you do for a living? I say, well, I'm a pastor. And then her eyes get all big as we're looking in the mirror, and it just seems to all connect. And so as we're finishing up the haircut, and I'm thinking, what am, what am I going to say? i, I got to say something very pastoral, something loving, something truthful, something evangelistic. That another customer walks in and sits right beside me, very close to me. And I become distracted. I become 
self-conscious. My devotion to the Lord becomes divided. I become more concerned with what this person sitting next to me is going to think about me, think about this conversation. And so I just spout off something very vague, true, but totally unhelpful, like, oh, the Father's calling you by His Spirit to your Son to walk with Him. And, you know, we just kind of go to the counter and I pay. And, and I'm walking out the door and I just start to beat myself up. And I'm replaying in my mind what had just happened. And it hit me. I am still in process. I am still in process of growing in godliness. We are all in process of growing, not only in our ability and desire to be watchful to the Lord, but to then demonstrate our devotion to Him by doing things that might seem awkward or uncomfortable, but are the good things in that moment, are the things that Christ would have us to do as we represent Him. And thankfully, in our passage this morning, do you know what we see? We see a picture, we see a detail included in this closing of a member on Paul's ministry team who is also in process. So look with me again at verse 10, where we're going to look at someone on this ministry team named Mark. Verse 10, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, Mark is the same Mark who 10 plus years ago, 10 plus years ago, was on Paul's first missionary journey, a part of his ministry team, evangelizing. And in the middle of their ministry, Mark abandoned the team. He left Paul. He went home. Now, we don't know exactly why, but we know how Paul felt about it. Paul saw it as a demonstration of immaturity, of half-heartedness in his service to the Lord and the kingdom of God. And we know this because two years later when Paul embarked on his second missionary journey, Barnabas invited Mark to accompany them. Paul said, no, no way. I am not bringing him on our evangelistic journey on our missionary quest. He's not mature. And so Paul and Barnabas had a split. Paul took Silas and Barnabas took Mark. But what we see here, the very fact that Mark is with Paul while Paul's in prison is that Mark did not Allow that defeat or that failure, so to speak, to define him. And Paul's assessment of Mark did not define him either. And what we see here with Mark is he has embodied Paul's teaching on progressive sanctification. Something that we've looked at throughout Colossians. And we see Mark staying a part of the, the community of believers. Allowing someone like Barnabas to mentor him and encourage him. And we see Mark, seeking the things that are above and not the things that are on earth. We see him desiring to grow in a personal relationship with Jesus. And we see in Mark embodying this teaching of putting to death the sinful desires that we have. Mortification. 
and instead putting on Christ-like character traits, the vivification of Christ in you. And we see him embracing gradually the goodness of being a bondservant of Christ, of serving in his kingdom, of seeking his will. And we know that not only did Paul welcome him back to this ministry team kind of begrudgingly, but we see here in verse 10 about Mark that he now has special instructions to to carry out in this community. Paul has prepped the Colossians about something concerning Mark, but the point is Mark now has been entrusted with responsibility on this ministry team because Mark is a picture for us of our growth in Christ, our progressive spiritual growth in Christ-likeness. Now, this is one such picture of a man who has grown, and if we look back at Epaphras, I want you to see a picture of a man put in a position where he has lost something. Something that for him possibly could define him, but he's allowing it not to be what defines him, not to be what drives him. Look again at verse 12, at Epaphras, again, who was the founder of this church at Colossae. Verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Now notice what this verse does not say. It does not say that he's struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that he may re-enter this community and again be the sole leader, the sole voice that they listen to. Because if you recall, the reason Paul wrote Colossians is this community at Colossae had been overrun with false teachers. Epaphras' concern is not regaining his position of prominence as a leader in the church. His concern is that the church at Colossae would know the truth and live out the truth and be assured of the truth. See, this church at Colossae had been captured by what's called syncretism. And in this case, they needed to add something to Christ in order to experience freedom from demonic forces and in order to grow in godliness. And Epaphras is deeply concerned for their immaturity, for the uncertainty they have in their faith. He is not concerned for himself. But why is this? Why is he struggling for their good? rather than promoting himself. Well, he knew that in Christ he was more than simply a man trying to build his own kingdom of hay, stubble, and straw. He knew that in Christ he was free from pursuing things that might look good to us, but actually capture our hearts and our minds to serve a lesser cause. He knew that to be wrapped up in Christ and his kingdom purposes is the greatest good for his own life and for his brothers and sisters in Christ that he loves. You see, he had tasted something better than what the world offers, better than what the flesh, the sin within, tells you to go after or to preserve. 
He had tasted something better, and it is Christ and His purposes. On Tuesday, I, uh, I should have asked my wife's thoughts on this before I did it, but I went ahead and did it anyways. We were getting ready for dinner, and there were some chocolate chip cookies that she had made for dessert. I decided to give our 11-month-old a little bite right before dinner, just to be a good daddy, right? Once our 11-month-old had tasted that yummy goodness of the cookie, dinner was no longer an option. He was fussy and demanding. He was pouting, stomping his little fist on that tray thing that we put in front of him. You see, he had tasted something very good. And that's what he wanted. And as we taste the goodness of being a servant of Christ's, of serving him as the king of kings, his kingdom purposes for the good of others, when we taste that, things that the world offers us pale in comparison. So that as God brings us into these circumstances where we might lose something that we think we need, we like Epaphras can say no. How can I help the individuals in this situation to know and love the Lord better through my Christ-like actions, my Christ-like desires, my prayers on their behalf? And don't miss that obvious facet that Paul has shown us throughout Colossians in verse 12 of the importance of prayer. We see that uh, Epaphras here in verse 12 was struggling on your behalf in prayer. What an oxymoron. Struggling in prayer. Prayer in the world's eyes seems so useless, so passive, so ineffective. I learned a long time ago that prayer is the battle. Prayer is the battle. Epaphras gets that. His struggle is taking place in prayer because he knows that nothing can stop the hand of God. Nothing. When we were prepping our, uh, ourselves, our family, to be missionaries in Ethiopia, we spent uh, quite a long time talking about a very complex issue uh, called third culture kids. Perhaps you're familiar with what it means to be a third culture kid. Here's the deal. A third culture kid is someone who was born in one country, yet raised in another country. And it can create this disorientation. Uh, in this foreign country in which they are raised, they, they don't look the same. They don't speak the same language, and they do things a little bit differently. But when they go back to the country in which they were born, they realize, I might look the same. We might talk the same language. Our parents might even be related. But we see things very, very differently. Third culture. They don't match the foreign culture. They don't match the home culture. They're this third culture. And they begin to ask themselves, who am I? And where do I belong? Who am I and where do I belong? You see, the answer to this question, I believe, is a nice summary of what we've been studying in this passage 
this morning. As we've been exploring this question, what does a community look like that embodies Paul's Christ-centered teachings in Colossians? What does that look like? The answer to that question, I believe, is summarized by our third culture kid question. Who am I and where do I belong? You see, we are fellow workers. If you've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we are fellow workers serving Christ for His kingdom purposes. That makes us different. It just does. We don't match the culture in which we were born into. A culture of sin, a culture of guilt, a culture that is demonstrated with this me-first attitude, trying to build our own kingdoms of hay, stubble, and straw. We don't match that. At least we should not. As we go to work, as we're at family reunions or vacations, as we talk with our neighbors, there needs to be something different about us that just sticks out. Even though we speak the same language, we're born in the same country, we don't match. And so... We sometimes experience this disorientation. Do I allow the fact that I'm kind of awkward and how I see things? Do I allow that to, to be a stumbling block and conform to the way things were so that I am able to be accepted? And we begin to ask ourselves, well, who am I? And where do I belong? You are in Christ and you belong to Him. Who are we and where do we belong? We are in Christ. That's who we are. We are in Christ and we belong to Him. This is meant to encourage your hearts. Because although we believe what Colossians teaches us, that Christ is supreme over all things, our senses and our experiences tell us differently. As our beliefs, as our way of living, don't match the culture in which we're serving. Don't match Paul's teachings of what it looks like to embody his Christ-centered teachings in Colossians. Be encouraged. Who are you? Where do you belong? You are in Christ and you belong to Him. Now, this concept of being in Christ... It is a central theme in Colossians. And we've, we've touched on it throughout May as we are now coming to the end. And we see it mentioned twice in our closing passage here. Uh, look at verse 7. Look specifically, look at these details of how Paul de describes Tychicus. The very last phrase, he is a fellow servant in the Lord. And then look at verse 17 as we uh, see him describe Archippus. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. To be in Christ or in the Lord, it's the clearest possible way to communicate the closest possible relationship. The clearest possible way to communicate the closest possible relationship. All that we do, our service, our ministry, our jobs, it's in Him. There is no sacred secular. There is no time off from serving. All that we do is in Him. 
Who we are is in him. That's who we are. The closest possible relationship you can have is with Christ because you are in him. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is supreme. And Paul mentions this phrase, in Christ, in him, a total of, let's see, uh, 15 times in the book of Colossians. Bam, bam, bam. He just scattershoots this throughout the book. It's just laced with it. He wants us to grasp that as we, as we look at this snapshot and hone in on the details for ourselves as we're each a fellow worker of Christ. So, brothers and sisters, it is, it is in Christ, as we kind of do an overview of Colossians, it's, it's in Christ that we have been made alive, that we've been transferred from a kingdom of death and darkness and guilt into His kingdom, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of light, a kingdom where we are His servants freed up to serve others. It's in Christ that God has hidden away our very life. It's in Christ that we are. That is who we are, brothers and sisters. And so God is causing us to grow. And this process of these truths coming from our head to our heart happens in the community of Christ. So be encouraged. Just as we get this snapshot here, God leads us into these moments to display this Savior that we love, that Paul has so clearly elevated in this book as the supreme one over all things. Let's pray. Our great God, it's in Christ that we come to you, and we praise you that we belong to you in him. And we praise you that it's good to be a servant of Christ. Help each of us who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins to serve him well, to embrace the goodness of that reality. We trust that you are growing us as we are forever united with Christ by your spirit. We pray that we would encourage others and pray for others and present ourselves to you in service, knowing that you are advancing your kingdom, not by our strengths, but by Christ's. We love you, our great God. Thank you that you first loved us in Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.